0: welcome to the escaping enemy mode podcast a podcast help you recognize when your brain is treating others as enemies to be defeated instead of as people to be loved with neuropsychologist jim wilder and brigadier general ray woolridge we'll discover the ways that enemy mode sabotages our best intentions and we'll find pathways together to re-friend the people around us let's get to work
1: well good morning hey, friends i've i'm delighted to have uh Uh, Mike Beller on on with us today. Mike is a retired assistant chief of police. Mike, you served in the Army as a ranger and then had a career, was it 25 years in a police department in Metro Atlanta?
2: That's right. I just retired September 1st and I've joined my retirement and uh, had a great career both in the military and in law enforcement.
1: Well, Mike, it's just a joy to talk to you today. Um, I appreciate your engagement with our book, both the stories and the interviews, but your endorsement. And we want to focus today on police and enemy mode and and police work in enemy mode. And so our first question is this, uh, and uh, let me set it up with a statement. Uh, Brain function will predict that someone in enemy mode will be unable to see that others are not in enemy mode and trying to help. So Mike how do you see that dynamic in police work? Well
2: enemy mode is is something that an officer will experience every day both coming from the public and in themselves if they're not careful. Uh first of all we all come at at any situation with our own implicit biases and both the the community and the police aren't immune from having certain stereotypes about the other uh, and when you deal with uh, somebody who already has a preconceived notion about what you're there for what you're going to do for them uh, be it good or bad it's difficult to, to break through that and and see how how you can be relational uh, have a more positive encounter uh, it, it takes a little bit of a reset Uh, frequently would be called to, to say, um, a customer dispute at a business or even a a domestic violence situation. And these are the kind of calls where actually most officers are at these these calls to bring peace, to help, to help both parties, to find some kind of mutually uh, acceptable uh, outcome that at least temporarily brings peace in the case of a domestic situation. And yet, very often, the, the people involved will be so uh, locked into enemy mode, number one, based on the, 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 the angry discussion that they're in the middle of, and number two, based on their preconceived opinions of law enforcement officers, that it is very difficult to, 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 to break through that and, and let people see that you're there to help them form a relationship and, and, and kind of change the, change the story.
1: Now, earlier, Mike, when we were talking, you mentioned domestic violence situations and, uh, you're coming into someone's house and, and those can really be dangerous situations, can't they?
2: Yeah. People will act differently in their own house than they would ever act in public. And, and it, it starts with a, a sense of power and self-righteousness and, you know you're in their turf. You're encroaching on them, and their status is challenged. You have a legal right to be there. Uh, that's the call you were sent to, and and you're there trying to bring peace to a violent situation. Uh, determine if there's any any charges that need to be filed, and at the very minimum, uh, ensure that there's no more uh, no more violence. Uh, and yet, people will will. Act in a way in their own home, uh, violently, in a way they never would uh, out in the public public sphere, because they have that sense of self righteousness, they have that empowerment, and they feel like you are an intruder that's upsetting their their status, their power, their uh, their, their actual ego. Uh, and so, you know, the the that's why we we always send two officers to a to a domestic violence call. Uh, Because it might be that you have to arrest somebody and it's not unusual to to have a a, a man that that you're arresting and suddenly the wife is now angry at you for arresting him, even though she's the one that called or uh, it's it can be a very, very dangerous dynamic. And and it it requires a a careful touch on on the part of, of, of police officers.
1: No doubt you've seen officers go into those situations and, and maybe because the officer is in enemy mode, they made it worse with the people. Of
2: uh, Yeah, I, I've seen that. And it's 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 uh, it's hard sometimes when when somebody, you know, a, a good officer is able to step out from themselves, because when you're on these calls, people will be pressing your button they'll be they'll be doing everything they can to 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 get you to 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 lose your professionalism. And you really have to to step out and observe things as as a third party. In other words, nothing they say is personal. They don't know you. Uh they don't they're, they're really speaking to the to the badge and the uniform that you wear more than anything else because everything that it represents in terms of authority. Uh and and their own perceptions of what a police officer is. But what, nothing, none of that has to do with anything that's personal to you. And so if you allow yourself to, to take uh, a, a shot or an insult personally, uh, you've, you've, made a, you've made a mistake. And, and it's likely that the, the emotions that come out of you at that moment are going to be totally counterproductive to, to, to making the, the scene uh, safe to resolving the call. You're probably going to make it worse. And yet we're all human. It's difficult to be uh to be hit with a a, a a verbal insult or a verbal assault, and and to just let it watch it go by, and maintain your professionalism. Uh, I remember one of the first courses I took in law enforcement was called verbal judo, and, and one of their favorite lines was uh, when somebody you're know, just launching to do a tirade uh, uh, at you about uh, you know if, who your mother is and everything that you you might have come from and everything else. And just to look at it and watch it go by, and then say appreciate that. But what we really need to do now is step you out of the car, or it's just it's just the words to allow the words to have absolutely no effect, and uh, to get right back on to what needs to happen next.
1: Wow, I appreciate that, even though they've cut, cursed you one side uh, up, up, one side and down the other.
2: Exactly, it's it's, it's a way of, of of it's it's like you have a. a, a uh, you're able to dodge the, the arrows that were just flung at you and get right back on track with, with what the, the, the call requires.
1: And I think uh, people will read our book and realize that it will take an officer staying relational, avoiding enemy mode, and always able to calculate the least harmful alternative in these encounters that can be dangerous. Now, uh, Mike, what about the dynamic when your officer is uh, 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 apprehending a suspect? What
2: about that? So so when you're, when you, you know, oftentimes we have to stop somebody that we suspect has committed a crime or is committing a crime. And that is, is a totally different situation than, than the other disputes we're talking about where you actually are there to help for a dispute or a customer business dispute, domestic dispute. When you're apprehending a suspect, you're honestly not there to help them at all. You're there to, to, to find uh or prove that they are doing something wrong because you think they are and so uh that naturally of course will will go straight to, to enemy mode uh unless you're real careful and, and uh, a lot of times uh, you can control how, how far things go you can control how far things go by, by by number one just staying professional and and i like to totally step outside of myself with somebody and and, and say listen I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't stop you and question what you're doing here behind this business at 2 a.m. in the morning. I wouldn't be a very good officer if I did didn't do that, right? And and with that kind of a uh, uh, you know, I've now taken myself out as instead of this is me personally, this is what another good officer would do. So I, I, I've, I've disengaged uh, my actions and said any good officer would be doing this. And oftentimes people will say, "Yeah, I understand." this is what you have to do. This is what anybody should do uh, to maintain public order. And yet they're going to, they're going to still uh, have a certain feeling of suspicion of uh, defensiveness. It's really going to be hard to be relational in, in that encounter. Uh, but I've seen good officers do it. I've seen officers stop somebody in, a, in an adversarial officer suspect encounter, uh, maintain uh, a, a relational conversation and soon they have somebody that that they're on good terms with, maybe they could use them as a uh for information later as a as a confidential informant or whatever but because they've been uh relational and and not allowed the the, the whole encounter to go uh, south they've um uh, they've established a a a good relationship that can help them in their job in the future.
1: Wow, well, let's shift gears a little bit um Uh, and we just got a couple more minutes, but, uh, one of the things we're interested in is helping whole groups, uh, escape enemy mode. And, and we're noticing that whole groups, and it could be families, it could be tribes, it could be political groups, it could be nations, but whole groups can be in enemy mode. And how does that impact police work and police officers?
2: Well, you know, uh, I feel like to a certain extent, uh, starting, starting with 2014 in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, there's been a section of the community that, that is enemy mode with their perception of what police are. And, and people will see a, uh, a video of, of an officer doing something clearly excessive, doing something that, that sh- shouldn't have, have, uh, have happened. And they'll assume that other officers are like that. Um, uh, and stereotypes are, are huge. Um, stereotypes. If if you're starting uh, an an encounter with with somebody that you don't know and all you have in your brain about them is a very negative stereotype, uh, you're starting off on the wrong foot. Uh, And it's going to be hard to keep that that encounter from from uh, from going into enemy mode. Uh, It take it's it's, going to take a little cooperation on both sides. Uh, When Sometimes you have whole communities where kids are raised to believe that officers aren't good, aren't there to help them. And oftentimes the way that people will react to you really has more to do with how they are raised or what their parents taught them rather than anything you have done uh, personally. So the Mm -hmm. step one is, like I said before, a police officer can't take anything personal because it's, it, it, Almost always has way more to do with the the badge on your chest and the uniform that you're wearing than you personally. Uh, another thing I like to say is that that you know, an officer that goes through uh, any any police academy and will be will be taught that that stereotyping somebody based on their race is completely wrong. It's unethical. It's improper. It's not practical. And that that goes. St- on into their in-service training at, at uh, uh, their department. Uh, the only time officers should take race into account uh, in police work is when they've received a, a certain bear, a certain suspect description, and, of course, they're going to be looking for people of that description. Uh, any other time that race is taken into account in deciding what to do, who to stop, uh, and, and such, is, is totally unethical. Uh, and that the reason is because we've, we've got a value that, that people should be treated uh, – As individuals, uh, based on their actions, their observable behavior, rather than what tribe or what group they come from. And and yet, frequently you'll see and meet people uh, at all levels of of government that somehow feel it's right to stereotype law enforcement officers based on what they've seen on a a body camera in, in a certain situation of a law enforcement officer misbehaving. Uh, There's a well-known uh, quote from, from a national police trainer. And he said, trying to characterize police officers as violent, racist, power-hungry brutes based on uh, a video you've seen is no more acceptable or valid than any other form of prejudice. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and you, we can all understand that. We can all accept that. But the public sphere still has a, a lot of very uh, pointed uh, group con- condemnation just because one individual uh, crosses the line. I mean, you saw in the George Floyd riots, you you had these officers that that were clearly using excessive force, and suddenly every officer in the whole country was 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 vilified in the media, and it's it's. it's uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the world that we live in, but that doesn't make it right.
1: Well, Mike, you've given us a lot to think about. You've given our listeners a lot to think about, and we're going to be unpacking the enemy mode implications of everything you've talked about. But before I, we sign off for today, I just want to thank you for your service, truly putting your life on the line, uh, starting as a young man in the army as a ranger, and then 25 years, uh, being a patrol officer and a lieutenant, and working your way all the way up to to senior uh, rank in your department, Mike, you're a, you're an inspiration, and and your service and sacrifice is very much appreciated by many, and not the least of which by me and Deborah.
2: You know, I, I read a, a soldier that that had the best answer to to what to respond when someone says thank you for your service. And, and one of my favorite responses is that you are worth it. Uh, you're worth it, meaning the individual that you're talking to is worth it, but the, the community we live in is worth it, and this, this, this country is, is worth serving. And so uh, on that note, that's, that's all I have to say is, is you are worth it.
1: God bless you. Thanks so much.
2: God bless you, too, Ray.
0: Ray, thank you so much for that conversation with Mike. Um, I can only imagine how difficult it is to have your career in policing being entering these charged, difficult situations where enemy mode is so often a factor, and yet trying to learn to continue to exercise those relational muscles. And one of the things that Mike talked about a lot that I wanted to lean into was how domestic violence situations were often some of the most dangerous ones um just saying that when you are entering somebody else's home it's it's very different than other situations um and i just have the feeling jim that there might be something behind that why is it that domestic violence um is a more volatile situation for a police officer to enter into
3: well the interesting thing, of course, is you're a place where people have some kind of attachment to each other.
1: Mm.
2: And
3: they feel like they are the lords of that domain, uh, which uh, English law and American law says they are. And mm-hmm. so uh, they're they're basically the ones that are feel in charge and like this is their environment. But they're in enemy mode with each other. Mm-hmm. So now you've got two people both of them are looking for some way to make the other person lose and you invaded that you're challenging their um, perceived status, uh, which is a good way to get enemy mode directed at you. And Mm. uh, so now at one moment I might be defending myself or attacking, trying to make my partner lose next moment. I'm going to be using that same thing against the, people coming in because your brain will not see uh, if your brain's in enemy mode, it doesn't see other people as trying to help you. It sees other people as trying to attack you. So mm-hmm. you're going to try to claw the eyes out of whatever, whoever just got in your way. Uh, Cause actually they're you know, if your objective is to make your partner lose, this police officer is getting in the way of your objective. They're challenging your authority. Uh, you know, clearly they have to be taken out first. Uh mm-hmm. That is, uh, that's volatile. And the energy state, the, those brains are pumping every bit of adrenaline they own. Uh So they're as, as maxed out as possible. Uh, and if you throw mm-hmm. a little drug in on top of that, it's not even reading its own s- signals very well. And, uh, you know, quite happy to go crazy.
0: hmm. And you talk in the book about how sometimes with enemy mode you can snap somebody out of it with shock and awe of just coming in with an overwhelming amount of force. Does that work in this situation?
3: Yeah, that's the striosomes you're talking about right there. And it's a very interesting little situation with them. They they're uh, controlled both by the uh prefrontal cortex, your identity state, or by Uh, the amygdala and the lower structures of the brain. And so what happens is shock and awe, your calculator up in front goes, oh, uh, can't win here. So shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. It's sort of like Seligman's learned helplessness. Mm. Only instantaneous learned helplessness. Like, oh, this isn't going to work. So you watch it in, in a in a you know, movie, a police movie or something like that, you watch the police officers come in, there's seven of them with drawn guns uh, on one suspect and they say, put your weapon down. And they look around and they they put their weapon down because shock and awe just worked. But if your attachment mm-hmm. center, which comes into the strizomes zones from the other side says, I have a relationship on the line here, uh, then your mother bear kind of instinct kicks in. Mm-hmm. And even in the movies, when they say, put your gun down, if the person with the gun, that has his daughter has been captured by these guys with the seven weapons, you know the story's going to go the other way. They're oh, going to fight against all kinds of odds because attachment and, and my territory and my people, all of that is being threatened here. And so, of course, in the home, we've always got attachment going on and the chances mm. that shock and awe will not work. Uh, you know, so now you've got to engage somebody relationally enough to to pull them into quiet instead of shocking them into quiet, which would mm. be, you know, which tactic are you going to take? Uh, and and that's why they'll often send more than one police officer in, and I think always if they can, more than one police mm. officer. in. so if one of you is trying to just basically stop harm. The other one can be trying to quiet the situation and hopefully that's what they do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like there's just so much at stake and it's, it's gotta be confusing too, because the, the approach that would work best in one location with one person isn't going to work and could backfire in a horrible way. Um, Ray, how do you think, Having had that conversation with Mike and your own experience in the military and in leading organizations, what do you what do you need to be aware of when you're encountering people in in this type of enemy mode? Well, you,
1: you need to be aware of uh, uh, a lot of things. Uh, everything Jim was saying plays into it. I would also mm. say uh, there's there's so many unknowns. You don't you know you're going into a situation where what other threats are present in this in this environment. Mm-hmm. And and because uh, if you're going into somebody's house, what weapons are present, what uh, narcotics are present, uh, uh, what pets are present, you know, what other human beings are are in it. So there's all those unknowns. But the other thing is mm-hmm. you need to your own reaction to that situation. You've got to be able to control your own response.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You have to have a, an ability to 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 obviously be on guard and to be professional, but stay relational. In, in a way so that you can um, do your job and make a and, and hopefully defuse the situation long enough mm-hmm. to, uh, to get to some type of a peaceful resolution. Now, uh, w- in our research with with Mike, when we talked to Mike, when we talked to other cops, we found out that uh, sometimes uh, cops are total enemy mode, not only with the, the perpetrators or with the people in the situation, but also uh, they're in enemy mode themselves and how they respond. So they, mm.
0: they
1: come into an enemy mode situation and they're, they're in enemy mode themselves. Yeah. And, and really that's an, if that's an, we say that's an impaired brain state. So they're not using all that they were created to do and be in that moment. And they're missing on the relational cues in the room, even though it's a high pressure situation. So uh, one of the cops we talked to, Ed said he would inject humor. So maybe mm. We've always heard about the good cop bad cop thing. Yeah, well, there's, there's probably something to that. Maybe if the bad cop is in enemy mode, maybe the good cop is is using some humor and trying to make a personal connection to the individual. Now it could be for. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just saying there's there's different ways, and maybe that's also why more than one police officer goes into a situation. Mm. They want to they want to defuse and de Deescalation is the term.
0: Yeah, well, and one of the situations that it seems like he he was talking about that he's in quite a bit is where there's a lot of verbal assault that gets sent his way um and i can just i can just imagine this of how difficult that would be to have somebody screaming insults at you and saying things to you and he describes some strategies for for coping with that but I'm curious what do you guys when you're in that situation where you have somebody who is clearly not they don't know you. They don't know who you are, your story, what you actually are like. They're reacting to their own broken experiences with people like you. And how do how do you engage with that in a way that stays relational?
1: Well, I think one one of the one of the strategies that Mike talked about was uh and, and he didn't say it this way, but he 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 knew it wasn't personal. Mm. They didn't know him. They didn't know his story. They didn't know his family. And if they were talking about it, his mama they <laughs> they'd never met his mama. So yeah. so he had learned to just dismiss those comments and 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 to quote the Godfather, it's not personal. It's just business. So that let the, <laughs> let all that stuff, all those attacks, go go away. Now. Yeah. You can do that and be manipulative, but there's also a healthy way because Mike knew who he was. Mm. And so, and and I think he had calculated what it was like him to do in those situations. I think our other, uh, Ed, had done the same thing when we interviewed him. So, um, you know, that, those type of comments can trigger the officer. And I think that's what the training is trying to prevent the officer from being triggered into stupid enemy mode, him or herself.
0: Yeah. And I've, I've noticed that even in myself, sometimes like in a tense situation where there's a lot of like name calling and high nerves. If, if I try and like step outside of it a little bit and be like, this isn't about me, this it's like, I feel like I'm also like keeping it under the surface and then I can snap into enemy mode really fast. It feels like kind of in the language of what you guys have been talking about. I'm trying to just keep things low, but I'm still in simple enemy mode. What are what are some of the risks of that, like where you're just trying to step outside of yourself?
3: Well, the first risk about it is that on both sides of the situation of the conflict, there's any number of uh, traumatic events that have gone into shaping our reactions. And so uh, mm-hmm. if you happen to say, look like, or remind me of something that really got to me in the past, uh, doing or saying that will set me off in a way that I'm actually not prepared for mentally. It'll, you know, kind of suddenly push my button and make it really hard for me to, to uh, remember who I am. So mm-hmm. one of the things that really helpful with that is to have some very fast ways to quiet yourself down, like, you know, slowly take an inhale and, and breathe out or have a posture that, uh, you know, you're going to uh, use to uh, to just give yourself a second to regroup. Uh, mm-hmm. It's also very helpful if you go in and you have a very good idea of what is it like me to do under these conditions, and that is where training and experience goes uh, to to really help us. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I know who I am. I'm actually a protector. You know, to serve and protect is on the side of a whole lot of police cars, but yeah. you remember that when you go in, like okay, I'm going to protect you in spite of the fact that you uh, don't think I will. And if you know that's who you are and what you're about, uh, even Mm -hmm. if you're a little bit distant, you so here are the protective things I can do. There's three things I can do. I'm going to make this happen quickly. I'm going to remove the threats from the home. I'm going to identify. These are the procedural ways that we say, in order to be uh, most protective, Here's how mm-hmm. I'm going about doing it. And then we over practice those things. It, it's particularly in the case of a police officer. But the other thing is, it's very good later to go back and look at the things that set us off. Mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. in talking with Ed, he talk, told me a few stories like that himself that, you know, I realized uh, I was uh, getting hotter than I wanted to under these conditions. And uh, this particular case, I think it's because his sergeant was in enemy mode and uh, he was already set to deal with the domestic violence situation but how do you deal with a sergeant in enemy mode on top of that that as a r- rookie officer he had no experience doing and so mm-hmm. he had to actually Im- expand and grow his personality by saying you know okay i next time i have to deal with a sergeant uh here's what it's like me to do and to stay ed and so there is growth to be done, even when we're having having a struggle.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the topics that Mike brought up that I was really grateful for um, was just bringing up the the very difficult concept of stereotyping and the preconceived ideas we have of people. Um, and he talked about how it's it's unethical to racially stereotype, and yet there is also a stereotype of police officers that happen. And as he's talking about this, it, it reminds me of concepts like implicit bias and some of these, these leanings that we have inside of us that we don't even re- know that we have sometimes. And I'm wondering what, what the role of that is when it comes to brain science, how we can protect ourselves against that. And... um kind of how we can keep relationships front and center, even when we're encountering people that may be, be different than us.
3: Well, one of the things uh, is that implicit bias is really well dem- demonstrated in the brain studies. But on top of that, so is the fact that within 200 milliseconds, which is about a fifth of a second, uh, a implicit bias can be removed by the brain. And Hmm. so while you may react with that bias, the first thing it's impossible to remove it because basically it's your trauma history. Again, Hmm. if I've been threatened by uh, some brown haired guy wearing earphones and drinking water out of a bottle and you turn out to be a brown haired guy wearing earphones and drinking water out of a bottle, my Mm amygdala is going to go danger, danger, Will Rogers. Uh, Yeah. But in in 200 milliseconds, the brain is able to come online and go, let's look that over and see if that exists right now. Mm-hmm. And how do I how do I update? Uh, knowing I have a bias, I'm going to react to this. How do I go about seeing is it true in the moment? And you can actually uh, learn to diffuse that, uh, again, if you know that you're the kind of person that doesn't let those biases linger. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, of course, that'll be on one side because the other person may not be taking their biases into account. And so there's a lot of ways of how do we actually get to know uh, each other relationally. And I remember my father, who uh, was born in 1914, he said that all the police officers he knew as a child walked beats around the neighborhood. Everybody in the neighborhood knew all the police officers. They knew each other. They talked to each other. They didn't have cars. Once police went into the cars, they became unknown people. And Hmm. so, uh, again, one of these things uh, that we, you know, we're trying to figure out as a society is is how do we deal with these things? But from our perspective, uh, the most effective thing is to find the ways that you've been traumatized, uh, recognize them, and then uh, do something to resolve the trauma so it doesn't build up a Traumatic set of reactions to other people um, mm. based on uh, a series of uh non-relational enemy mode encounters because if I, we have an enemy mode encounter, uh the chances of one of us or both of us getting traumatized is really quite high uh, and mm-hmm. so i've got I've got to deal with that internally, and almost all the police officers and first responders I know have gotten way behind on that uh mm. recovery recovery side and so have the communities. So one of the things that I would hope we would do as Christians is go into these environments and teach them something like, uh, let's invite God into this moment and have him show us who we really are so that we can recover from the traumatic reactions that we're carrying with us. Uh, And if we do that, we're going to be diffusing, uh, deescalating future situations.
0: yeah and in those those situations it seems like enemy mode is something not just that one person brings into the situation but it's something that can be caught and is contagious <laughs> so it's like and i've seen that in my own life where it's like i'm coming in trying to remain my best self and it's like a encountering somebody with enemy mode draws me into it. Is that something that that you guys have experienced?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and I've seen it in, in group dynamics where if one person is losing it, other people start to lose it. And mm-hmm. if if one person is angry, other people start getting angry. And, mm-hmm. and, and if people are blaming other people, then the blame starts going around the table and it becomes almost a schoolyard thing. And what, one of the stories I heard, and we tell this story in the book, is in a corporate setting around a, in a boardroom. And it became a, a name calling and blaming session. And mm. everybody there it, and the leader made it worse because he started it out on that note. And he mm-hmm. set a tone of, I'm blaming this person for causing the problem. And next thing you know, they were they were uh, divided. It was like a civil war around the table. And it took days and weeks to recover from that.
3: Mm-hmm. I would also have to say, uh, and I really don't like admitting this, but when I encounter someone in intelligent enemy mode and they're trying to make me lose, mm-hmm. my brain is real hopped to fat, fast to say, okay, I, I'm going to figure out how to make you lose. Uh, Mm -hmm. And coming up with strategies is often how I first recognize that I've gone into intelligent enemy mode myself. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, you're going to do that. I'm going to make you look stupid. Okay, you're going to do that. Uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, dodge that one and, and, you know, uh, all these strategies that I'm thinking of rather than trying to engage with the person. So, yeah, it's very contagious to me. And it's the worst Mm -hmm. form that's most contagious in my case.
0: And then on a positive side, is relational health contagious too? Is that something that we can spread, or is it just the uh the negative aspect that that spreads easily?
3: Well, I'd have to say the wonderful thing about the brain is it desires joy a whole lot more than it likes to be in enemy mode. Uh and so if we can actually bring joy into a room to be glad to be with you. And it's sometimes mm. as simple as this: is to say, "Yeah, I can see you're really fighting for your existence, your purpose, your goal, your whatever it is right now." And I'd like us to solve this together as well as we can. You know, I bet if we work together, mm-hmm. we'll have a better solution. Something like that is often enough to to diffuse the people in my life and go like, "Oh yeah, I didn't think you'd ever help me, but you were really interested in that." Uh, mm-hmm. And so the joy is is actually more desirable. Uh, than enemy mode and yeah it does pull people in not always but it sure can mm-hmm.
1: yeah people just like being around people who are like that and mm-hmm. and, and they don't know yeah. why they just like that person that's a nice person mm-hmm. well what we what we see in that is relational joy
0: well, i think that is a, a great place for us to wrap up for this episode A huge thank you to Mike um, for his service on the police force and for all those who are stepping into those dangerous and volatile situations, uh, putting their lives on the line to make sure that that people are safe and taken care of. In the next episode of the Escaping Enemy Mode podcast, I am so excited for you guys to hear the interview that Ray has with Major General Jack Briggs on the as-if self. Uh, You may not have heard of the as-if self before, but trust me, this is a transformational concept that I think is really going to help you understand yourself and others so much better as you learn to escape enemy mode. You've been listening to the Escaping Enemy Mode podcast. To learn more about the book by Dr. Jim Wilder and Ray Woolridge, visit EscapingEnemyMode.com.